You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Shelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Hello, everyone. We're glad to be connected with you um, beyond this meeting. We have a Zoom link for all of our meetings, and all of our meetings are recorded and put online. So, oh, they're up there. Check it out. That's awesome that we can actually see you all. That's great. Thank you, Jeffy. (laughs) All right. So we are, for this fall, um, we are getting into uh, the, the overarching narrative of Scripture starting in Genesis. We're following along with the narrative lectionary, uh, which is a scheduled um, outline of readings that will lead us through touch points of the Bible um, from the beginning to end. So um, we are in the book of Genesis, and I was thinking this week about... Um, how this story got me chewing on um, times in my life that I have felt like maybe things have gone from bad to worse. Have you ever been in a season of your life where you feel like things go from bad to worse? Yes. Okay. I'm not alone. Um, Of course, um, all all the difficulties um, feel relative now in comparison to a three-year global pandemic. Um, But I wanted to uh, choose something that wasn't so close to home. So I was thinking back uh, to the summer of 2015 in my life. In May, my niece, my brother's daughter, was born with only a partial diaphragm. And so my brother and his wife took turns driving to CHOP to stay with her until she could grow large enough to have surgery uh, for them to construct the rest of her diaphragm. And we took turns with visits to the NICU, um, which was really intense and and gut-wrenching. In addition to that, that summer, I had a few health uh, issues going on. Nothing that serious, uh, but some of you know I had plantar fasciitis in my feet for years. And it had gotten to a point where it was just extremely painful. I had done physical therapy, gotten steroid injections, um, and worn braces at night. Well, all just provided temporary relief, um, or minimal relief at best. So it it was limiting my physical abilities, and I was feeling despairing that it would ever go away. I also got a severe case of poison ivy which I'm very allergic to, so it is not pretty. Some of you, some of you are nodding in uh, your own knowing of that. Uh, I felt like I needed to just stay away from people because it was so uh, unsightly. And then we got bed bugs, uh, which um, made me feel very uh, infectious, to say the least. Um, and our whole block was infested, actually. At the height of it, we confirmed seven of our houses on our block had bed bugs because they were just spreading back and forth. So it took months and months and multiple rounds of treatment before they were gone. And at the same time that all of those things were happening, uh, my father 
after, and, and his brothers and my grandfather, after a 10-year investigation with the IRS, uh, were convicted for felonies of the, with their involvement of a trust company for their small family business. So after a juried trial and days of a federal, in a federal courtroom with my family, he was sentenced to 21, year, uh, 21 months excuse me, um, in federal prison. So things that summer went from bad to worse. And I regularly sat on my back porch um, praying, desperate to feel God's presence and comfort in the midst of everything that was happening. I grow a hyacinth bean vine on my back porch, and it grew by inches um, every few days. And it just felt like my prayers were growing, adding more things and more things to reach up beyond the second story of our house. as things went from bad to worse, I struggled to find God's presence with me in the midst of all of that. Now, thankfully, my niece um, got the surgery that she needs and is thriving and is a feisty, healthy child. Um, And my loved ones are out of prison and life has gone on. But, um, You know, when you're in the midst of things going from bad to worse, it's sometimes very difficult to have empathy and connection for other people and to get outside of your own perspective on things because what's happening to you is so immediate and so pressing. We all have our own bad to worse stories, right? Yours might be happening right now. Today's text is a snapshot of someone's bad to worse story and and where God is in all of that. We're also going to look at the abuse of power and the way that that plays into what's happening. This story, um, I want you to know in advance that this story is an account of sexual assault, so I want to offer a trigger warning. If strong feelings arise for you um, as we move through this story, please take care of yourself. If you need to step outside, there's, there's uh, room right in the back. You can sit out there or get a drink, go for a little walk. Um, we also have notebooks and cards with pens right there on a little table in a basket. If it helps to take one of those to write or journal, do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. They're also just here and available for any of you. So if taking notes or uh, doodling during the talk is helpful, please just help yourself. This text takes place in uh, Genesis 39, verses 1 through 23. It's a snapshot of Joseph's life. Joseph is the youngest of 12 children. He's the favored son of Jacob, and he's the youngest. His uh, jealous brothers hate him for the attention that he gets, and um, there's more to his story that you can explore before chapter 39, but we're picking up in chapter 39. Uh, I'll I'll summarize it to say that sort of his bad to worse went from um, one day his father sent him out to the fields to look for his brothers, and their um, hatred for him welled up. They attacked him, they threw him into a well, 
Then they changed tactics and sold him to a caravan that was passing by. He was then trafficked to a distant country, and um, they went back to his father and presented his coat bloodied with animal blood, implying his death. So the favored son is now a foreign slave and separated from his whole family. In Egypt, however, um, he, he was appointed to serve in the house of Potiphar, an Egyptian master. Potiphar came to trust Joseph as an assistant. He thought very highly of him. One translation says that everything in Potiphar's house had been entrusted to Joseph's hand. So he's put everything under Joseph's supervision. Verse 6 of 39 says that Potiphar didn't pay attention to anything except the food he ate. So Joseph is running things. He, he's gotten himself established there in Egypt. Potiphar trusts him, uh, both his character, his ability to manage all of Potiphar's affairs. I don't know what Potiphar's doing. He's just living the life, I guess. Because if the only thing you have to pay attention to is what you want to eat... That just gives you a picture. Um, <clears throat> he's prospering with Joseph in charge. And Joseph seems to be doing fairly well, too, from what we can tell. He has a lot of responsibility and autonomy. But though he's in charge of everything, he's still a slave. He is still owned by Potiphar. And one day, after eyeing a handsome and good-looking Joseph, Potiphar's wife commands Joseph, lie with me. And Joseph refuses. This is pretty bad, right? The boss's wife comes to you, demanding that you sleep with her, and he has to deny her to her face. He says, no one is greater than I, I am in this household and he, meaning Potiphar, hasn't denied me anything except for you, since you are his wife. How could I do this terrible thing and sin against God? But every day, she continued to try to convince him. But he wouldn't agree to sleep with her or even be with her. So he, has, he now has to avoid her completely. Daily, she's relentlessly pursuing him. And then things went from bad to worse. Let's read together in verse 11. Jeffy, thank you. Is there one um, slide before that? Okay, I'll read it to you. Verse 11, one day when Joseph arrived at the house to do his work, None of the household's men were there. She grabbed his garment, saying, lie down with me. But he left his garment in her hands and ran outside. And even worse still, we'll pick up here in verse 11, or 13, when she realized that she had his garment in her hands and had run outside, she summoned the men of the house and said to them, Look, my husband brought us a Hebrew to ridicule us. 
He came to me to lie down with me, but I screamed. When he heard me raise my voice and scream, he left his garment with me and ran outside. But she, and she kept his garment with her until Joseph's master came home. And she told him the same thing. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us to ridicule me came to me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment with me and ran outside. This is not looking good for Joseph. She has physical evidence that she's using to support her story. She's told her story to all the men of the household and now to the master himself. If, if there was any question in our minds before about her motives, uh, her response here shows us what really is going on. Her advances aren't even about an expression of desire, but about power. This is sexual harassment. She has the power. She is the master's wife. She refuses to honor Joseph's no. She essentially creates this environment day after day where she presents her demands to Joseph, and he won't obey or consent. So she physically assaults him, and he flees. And we, we read that she holds his garment in her hand. This is a connection to the wording that um, Potiphar placed all things in Joseph's hands earlier. It calls to mind a complete reversal from Joseph's position in the household to Potiphar's wife's position in this moment. She turns the whole story upside down and falsely claims that he sexually assaulted her. So this isn't just a series of unfortunate events in Joseph's life that turn from bad to worse. This, this is abuse of power that makes it very clear. Joseph has been working hard and rising in his status, even under Potiphar's ownership. But that is not enough. His good name and his, his ability to make things prosper is not enough to protect him against her. And what happens here reveals kind of how power works. When Potiphar's wife accuses him, she presents Joseph um, in his social location. Did you catch that in the text? She said, this Hebrew that my husband brought to ridicule us. She's reminding these other men who Joseph is in the hierarchy, and she's pointing out that he is transgressing this master-servant social order. Potiphar's wife is using his social identities to condemn him, and she also places the garment in her hand which she uses again to flip this entire narrative. Um, and it becomes evidence that she, try, she makes it apparently evidence to confirm, condemn him and confirm her story. Potiphar became incensed. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail.
What is happening here with Potiphar's response? All the trust that was built up is undone instantly. All the time and, and um, evidence of who Joseph is was undone in a moment. Despite having earlier trusted Joseph, his wealth, the labor, the inner workings of all that Potiphar had, Potiphar responds to his wife by becoming enraged and throwing Joseph in jail. Why do you think Potiphar responds the way that he does? I'm going to pause here and ask you to talk with each other about that. Why do you think Potiphar responds the way that he does? And then we'll talk back in a big group. So take a minute to just turn to a person next to you. Just one other person is enough. And consider that question. What's happening here with Potiphar's response? Why does he respond the way that he does? And we'll just imagine together. So take a few minutes, and and then I'll call us back. Let's talk about this together. Um, I have a microphone I'm going to bring around so that folks on Zoom can hear what you all are saying. Uh, but let's, let's hear what came up in your group. What were, you, what were you thinking about in terms of what was happening with Potiphar and his response? Why do you think he responded the way he did? Thanks, Micah. Great. Micah's going to run the mic for me. I'm going to take some notes, too. Let's see like, what kind of list we can create. There's no one answer here. What, what, what came up for your group? Anita. Um, I feel like he responded that way because it puts him in like a really awkward situation. Like, um, one, he's angry about the situation. Even if he doesn't believe his wife, he still can't um, trust the word of a slave over his wife anyway in front of everybody. So there's that. Then this guy is running everything. So he knows once he throws this guy in jail, the responsibility goes back on him. So that's also frustrating because he was just living this super relaxed life where all he had to worry about was the food to put in his stomach. Now he's got to rub out everything all over again because he doesn't trust anybody else like that. So that's frustrating. And then he also has to deal with his wife afterwards. <laughs> like, because she's not going anywhere. And, and their perception too. So it's like three, th- three or four things all wrapped up in one. And he probably is dealing with the moral thing too. Like I have to throw this innocent guy in jail if he is innocent. Um, and how does that feel to, um, to be responsible for that as well? So there's that. So it has, there's economic consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, there's moral consequences. There's moral and rela- relational consequences mm-hmm. in his marriage. Yep. And I think I missed one. And I guess uh, a lack of trust in the people that he trusts as well, because if it is true, then he trusted this guy with all this stuff and gave him like, his utmost trust, and he did this. So either way, it's bad <laughs> on his judgment. Mm, yes, it reflects badly on his judgment because he trusted Joseph. So it might be embarrassing. Yeah. He might lose face. Yeah. Great, thank you. What else? We were talking about um, 
how he probably needs, feels he needs to like reassert his dominance over his household. Like if he um, doesn't punish Joseph harshly, it'll give a message that like people can try him basically. Like I'm gonna have to, whether or not he believes Joseph and what happened, if he doesn't, then he probably is gonna be suspicious that like, oh, now anybody's gonna think they could like seduce my wife. So if he, I think a lot of times people in power who want to like reassert their dominance, they're more concerned about that than like the justice for the people under them, more like needing to assure their power by being as harsh as possible so other people don't try and take their power away from them. Yep, that's great. This thought didn't strike me until just now, so I, I didn't get to share it with my group, but I was just thinking, um, and, and maybe this is the limits of the storytelling or the limits of the space that's given to this story, but it's interesting that there doesn't seem to be noted any sort of conversation between him and Joseph about, like, what happened? Like, <laughs> how did, why would you do this to me? Like, what's your side of the story? Or, like, any of that kind of conversation or the wife and Joseph and him all kind of getting in a room and being like, okay, what went down? Let me, like, help me understand. Like, there doesn't seem to be any, like, attempt at understanding both sides or seeing if restitution is possible or any sort of forgiveness or anything like that. I'm not saying, and, and, and I want to be careful in that because with any sort of sexual assault or sexual harassment, like, it's not necessarily the person that's being attacked's job to, like, immediately just forgive and forget. Like, that's a bad model for dealing with things like that. But it's just interesting that he's put so much faith in Joseph and is not seemingly willing to kind of like figure out more of what went on. There's just kind of this like snap judgment of like, I've got to just deal with this, you know, kind of like out of shame almost. Yep. Yeah, the only detail we have is he was incensed. That's all we get. John. Yeah, just in my group, we were talking about, yeah, shame being a motivator, anger. But then I was just, as, as everyone else was talking, thinking about the, the power difference and, like, the fact that he just threw him in prison versus killed him outright or whatever. Like, was there some, some mercy there if he had absolute power and could have destroyed this guy? Is, is that sort of lower level sort of consequence uh, a sign of mercy or, like, love for, for Joseph? So I don't know. Just throwing it out there. That's a very interesting question. All we know as we go further in the story is that he is put in prison in the section of the prison where the king's prisoners would be kept. So one would assume that might be like maximum security. Um, but yeah, we, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that question about having him killed versus imprisoned. Anything else you want to add to this story? Go ahead, Micah. You got the mic. I do. <laughs> uh, it seems like a really male-centered voice for a story of sexual assault. Um, like, I feel like a few weeks ago we heard Aaron talk about um, stories of sexual assault from a woman's perspective and also not seeing judicial uh, equivalents being given to them. Um, and while this story is similar in terms of not really having any voice in the, their defense, um, 
it's also looking at a male victim uh, of, of sexual assault or a, um, a false accusation. Um, and that's weird. It is interesting to consider if you imagine this story with um, uh, different genders in terms of who's who and what's happening. Um, to me, there's no question it's sexual assault. She literally grabs the clothes from him, um, and she's harassing him day after day. So I do want to elevate the fact that he is a slave. He is owned by Potiphar in this household, and his, his power is significantly different than the uh, master's wife. Thanks for, for chewing on that together. Um, there's no question that, she, that Potiphar's wife benefits from a social system in which her account of what's going on is not weighted equally to his if he was in fact even given the opportunity to tell it. Um, maybe, maybe you are someone who lives in a body that our society has marginalized um, or you have a social identity that is not considered on equal playing field. Maybe you are regularly reminded in your interactions that in life that somehow you're in a position that is fragile and could be flipped at any moment based on whose testimony or position um, has power over you. God's presence does not seem to save Joseph from the circumstances that he is facing over and over again. But in this text, we do see a God who is with Joseph, even when his life circumstances go from bad to worse. We see in Joseph an example of someone who is marginalized and vulnerable, being a channel of God's blessing. It says in verse 21, when he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. He caused the jail's commander to think highly of Joseph. And that's sort of a reprise of a statement earlier in the story when, when he's um, sold into slavery in Egypt. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. In the midst of all that he faced, God was with Joseph and faithful to him. The Lord is present to those who suffer under the abuse of power. The Lord sees those who are falsely accused, undermined, dehumanized, subject to humiliation when their power or their narrative, um, or, their, or subjected to humiliation when those in power have their narrative about themselves challenged. All of us, as human beings, experience difficulty, separation, rejection, betrayal. Um, our lives sometimes feel like they go from bad to worse. 
But it's important to remember that for those of us who have more power in our society, when our social position gives us more security, more credibility, that we tend to interpret things through our own lens. Hopefully, no one's behaving like Potiphar's wife, um, but on a more subtle scale, there are countless opportunities that we have to tell our own version of the story and to trust that bias will be in our favor. For those of us who have been um, privileged that way in our social positions in society, we might even tell ourselves what we think is happening and believe it, convince ourselves. As a church, we are committed to becoming and living into being anti-racist and anti-oppression. When we're committed to seeing the, the power dynamics and the historical context that we live in, we have to see what's happening um, from the perspective of those who have been marginalized. And that takes work for all of us who have been centered in society. There are always reasons that we understand things the way we do. There's always personal experiences that we're struggling through. But the power dynamics in Joseph's story remind, remind me not to take for granted that one's position in society um, determines a lot about the way, about whatever is happening. And the Bible is full of examples over and over where God is lifting up the lowly and working through those who have been oppressed. God is present to them in their suffering and works God's will through those whom society denies power. As a predominantly white church, uh, we're learning to assess who has power and who doesn't uh, as we listen to the marginalized voices among us. May Joseph's story be a reminder that God's presence is with those whose stories have been um, usurped and flipped around. God's favor rests on those who cannot rely on the world to give it. If you're reading Joseph's story, um, you'll see, if you keep going, you'll see that ultimately he's the one through whom God um, provides for the entire region, for the foreign country that he is living in, and for his entire family. Let me pray for us. God, today we are remembering those who long for a different or better life. We lift up those who have been betrayed by family or friends, abused by employers, misjudged, harassed because of their identity. We call to mind the ongoing human horror of human trafficking, of people forced to labor to serve others' greed and to enable our consumption. We pray for those still being harmed by historic wrongs, living with the consequences of racist systems and cycles that we have not yet broken. Give us, Lord, your church, the eyes to see and the courage to resist and repent 
and repair. May your justice transform our ways of being so that all people might know the blessing of equity and freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.